Hey, big boxers. Welcome to On The Shelf, a program that is dedicated to helping you get your products into a major big box retailer. Tim here with you, and uh, hope you're having a great day. Hope you guys are uh, doing awesome, had an awesome week, and uh, reaching out to buyers and making things happen, getting your product out there. Uh, we wish that all for you. Uh, the show today is amazing. Can't wait for you guys uh, to have a listen. Rich Brohl from Make 48 is here, one of the co-founders. And I don't know if you remember, but uh, some time ago we had uh, Tom Gray uh, was at an ECRM EPPS session, and he spent some time with us talking about Make 48. And then recently we had a listener, a big box listener, that actually was on the show. And he suggested uh, that uh, we talk to uh, one of the founders. And so uh, Rich uh, graciously lended his time. And man, guys, time to pick out the pencil and pad because he has some awesome information for you. And you're not going to want to miss a second of it. Okay. Obviously, uh, when you're in charge of a show that uh, its sole purpose is to uh, help people um, make products that you're going to sell in retail. He has some insight, people. Okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. And like I said, you're not going to want to miss a second of it. So without any further ado, uh, let's get right into it with Rich. Hey, Rich, welcome to the program. So great to have you here. Thanks, Tim. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I um, uh, I got that weird uh, email from David, uh, who I had actually mentioned on a previous podcast that had heard uh, Tom on the podcast and joined the Make 48 team. And he was uh, super pumped up about having been uh, on the season two recording, of course, super type lipped, right? Wasn't going to tell me a thing about it and, uh, and thought it would be cool if uh, if you and I spoke. So I'm uh, uh, I'm honored to meet you and and uh, super grateful that you're on the podcast. Um, so welcome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, David had a great team. Um, he was, um, I can say he did real well. He did real well on the, at, the, at the event. Okay. That's about all I can say about that. But, yeah. <laughs> he all. had uh, him and his friend um, and their two daughters. So they called their team uh, Dads, D-A-D-S, um, which is, actually stands for Dad and Daughters. Um, and it was, uh, it, it was really a rewarding experience for me just to see them, you know, to, to see them bond and a couple of high school girls, I think they were seniors yeah, or seniors and, um, seeing them bond with their dads like that, you know, that's not always the case. You know how it is with teenagers sometimes, but this really was a rewarding family experience for him. I really believe that. And I think he'd tell you the same thing. That's, uh, that's cool. And I think you're right. You know, my daughter's 15 and, uh, uh she just got her learner's permit. And uh -huh. so, and so we're, right now we're bonding over, uh, learning to drive, which is, has been super cool, you know, uh, sure. but I think anytime you're thrown in with your kids into a confined environment where you have to work together, that's a good thing because as kids get mobile, which, you know, in another year, she'll be on her own driving around. Um, you know, you connect less because they're off doing their own thing. And so, especially at a senior level, what a great experience before heading off to school. Yeah, it, I think it really was for him. And it, it was fun for all of us on the make 48 team to watch that and see the the family bonding, which is really, you know, Make 48 is about education and about bringing people together and, and showing people that you can go through a really uh, enduring experience, 48 hours nonstop of trying to invent a product. That's challenging. It's like running a marathon. And uh, when you do it with someone, whether it's your family or a friend or somebody you just met, you create this bond that's um, it's, it's really special. 
That, that's cool. So originally, um, months ago, we had uh, Tom Gray on, and uh, and and he kind of introduced us to Make Forty Eight, which we were super pumped up about. Right, anytime there's a, a show about making products that you actually can get into retail, we're kind of all in. But uh, so you work with Tom, and tell tell me a little bit about you, Make Forty Eight, how you got started with that, how you know Tom, and uh, kind of just uh, you know give us a little bit of background. Um, on on you and the show and how it all got started. Sure. So I've been, um, you know, I've been inventing things or messing around with inventing ever since I was a kid, like a lot of a lot of people. And you know, I had some uh, successes and a lot of failures. Um, I participated in a lot of contests, whether it be invention contest. I was um, also competed in robot wars back in the '90s, building robots, and then um, was part of a the a centennial NASA centennial challenge team to um, uh, help build a robot uh, for the space elevator, which is an event sponsored by NASA with uh, very large prize money. And we were, my team was the team I was on was second place in that, which was pretty cool. Awesome. We got beat up, got beat out by some Boeing engineers. So we didn't feel too bad about that. <laughs> right. uh, and then, you know, as, as my son um, became a, um, a grade schooler and stuff, I got involved with FIRST Robotics, which is an educational program for kids teaching them robotics. And I've been a volunteer there and a coach there and a mentor there. And they run a great program for kids to compete in building robots and inventions as well. And all of this, you know, this and then being part of Inventor Center of Kansas City, which is a nonprofit group that helps inventors um, get products on shelf with stuff like you do. Um, helps them all the way through the process um, whenever we can. And my buddy Kurt McMillan and I came up with this idea for Make 48 through through a lot of that. Kurt's participated in a lot of these things with me. We've been friends for about 30 years. And uh, we came up with this Make 48 idea because we said, what would happen if um, if we took away all the distractions from someone for 48 hours? You don't have to deal with your job, with family, friends, nothing, you get a challenge and you, all you have to do for 48 hours is think about this challenge, come up with an idea, develop a prototype and pitch it to a panel of judges and think about absolutely nothing else but that product. What do you think? You think somebody could do that? So I said to Kurt, we went back and forth on it. We said, sounds like a pretty cool idea. So then we hooked up with Tom Gray. He loved the idea. Bob Colston came in. And um, Make 48 was formed, and, and Tom's been a tremendous force in driving the sponsorship and getting it on TV, and it, he's been he's been great as a CEO. Awesome. So you guys, um, what was your original like? What was the goal of of the original show? If you could say, if you could like narrow it down to say, hey, the reason we want to do Make 48 is what? I I really you know it, Make 48 is. It is to help people, and it's to show people what can happen when you put your mind to it. You don't have to be an inventor or an engineer. What happens when you have all the tools available for you with people that know how to run them, experts in the field? We have uh, 3D designers, engineers, CAD workers, uh, machinists, woodworkers, everybody on staff ready to help these inventors develop their product. And these guys stay up hours along with the inventors. And the tool, they're called tool techs. And um, 
we're all friends. They're mostly my friends that I put together, and they are amazing people. So the, the goal ultimately is to show people what happens when you get a challenge that, that seems daunting, and most people don't have a clue how to do it. If you have the help and you have the time and you have the focus, what you can do in 48 hours. That's, I mean, that's cool because I think every day, right, people come up against a challenge in their life and they're like, man, if I could just make a blah, 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 um, that would really handle that issue or I have a need. And if I could just create a blah, 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 but they kind of think about it for a second and then they dismiss it because I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to make stuff. I don't even know where I would begin. And so I think, you know, some of the best product ideas, you know, get flushed down the toilet because people just are stopped right after they have the idea. They're just basically stopped at the point of, I don't know how to do it. So, you know, uh, I'm going to shove that thought out of my mind. Um, which Absolutely. Is, yeah. Um, so make 48, do they get to make their own products or do they come in with an idea or how does that, how does that work? No, the way it works, we'll get a challenge sponsor and, um, it may be um, a company that puts that makes kitchen products, or it may be a tool company, or someone like that. And they will um, they'll provide a challenge of things they're looking for. And uh, the, the challenge is kept secret until the, the the event starts, and it'll kick off. This time it kicked off at a, at noon on a Thursday, and that's when we announce the challenge and. We tell them what they're inventing around that category. Sometimes we have a price point, a retail price point, and sometimes we don't. And then they they uh, go straight from that kickoff meeting, uh, which is usually in an auditorium of some sort, and they go straight into um, the lab, the makerspace, and start brainstorming ideas. They have whiteboards, and they, the teams get together, and they start just brainstorming ideas on a whiteboard of what they could invent around that category. And then they are introduced to the tool techs who are there to help them along the way in any, any way possible. And uh, a lot of people will have parts printing on 3D printers within, within hours of that. Literally, their part is being created, their, their product is being created within hours of receiving a challenge. Wow. So, so, so I'm, uh, myself and, and all the big boxes out there, so we're understanding correctly. Let's say, uh, we'll just use uh, Cuisinart, okay? Let's say Cuisinart comes to you and says, hey, we wanted to get into the, into the kitchen gadget business, and so we want to create a line of, of you know, let's, let's say top-end kitchen gadgets that fill this particular function. Uh, yeah. Would that be kind of close to the mandate that you would, you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and so they're free to just brainstorm anything that fits into that kitchen gadget high end you know whatever whatever the parameters are there they can come up but they're all kind of in the same so what you're going to get from all the teams is basically some sort of kitchen gadget that fits the mandate yeah that's correct so if it, if the category was kitchen gadgets they would be everybody would have a kitchen gadget it would be in that maybe they maybe it's a new spatula or it's a new thing to stir the pot, you know, when it's automatic pot store type thing or something like that. Um, or, you know, stuff you'd see on uh, late night TV, as seen on TV, you'd see some of that too. Um, so yeah, it's all within one category. And sometimes we will give some pain points in that category. We did have a kitchen gadget, but the very first one was kitchen gadgets. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, so some pain points on that I'm trying to remember were, um, it's food spoiling, 
uh, how to keep food from spoiling quickly or how to know when it's spoiled, um, smells in the kitchen, how to deal with that. That was one of them. Uh, how to keep, um, when you're carrying multiple plates, how to keep the silverware and things from falling off as you're carrying them, carrying them. That was one of the challenges that was given to us. Okay. So that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, that was, that's a cool thing. I didn't know that you guys are now into the, you, you know, you guys bring up a sponsor. So this company, whoever sponsoring it, they get the, the benefit of, um, product ideas, even, even though there's only one winner, but they still get multiple product ideas. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we have a first, second and third place, uh, prize winners, you know, trophies for them and that sort of thing. And, but everybody, every team could get a licensing deal because there's companies looking at them and, you know, some of our sponsors, we have ACE as a sponsor, they're looking and QVC is a sponsor. Stanley tools is a big sponsor. Okay. And so what does that mean? They could get a, a license. So you got a team that let's say they came in second, um, uh-huh. and, uh, and what would a licensing deal, how would that work? What would happen? Uh, manufacturer would, would like the product and want to license it and then manufacture it and pay a royalty. And, and does that royalty go, uh, a hundred percent to the team or do, do they split part of that with you guys? No, we don't take anything and they own all of their own IP as well. So if the, if what they do at make 48 develops a patent, that patent is a hundred percent theirs, not ours. Wow. So you guys are just like a conduit to make things happen. Yeah, right. And and we're just, yeah, that's exactly what we are, trying to show people what you can do. And, and you can get over these barriers. Like you were saying earlier, most people, when they come up with an idea, they get there's this little rush of excitement when you have this idea. Maybe you write it down, you get all pumped up, and then all of a sudden, reality hits you and you go, I don't know how to do that. I don't have a clue. It goes on a shelf, you know, in your mind, off the not the good shelf like you, but the shelf in your <laughs> mind. And... Um, then, you know, uh, most of the ideas are the best ideas are in the graveyard because they die with the people who thought of them. And, and that's where they wind up because people just don't have the means to do anything with it. And then if even if you can prototype, how do you get it on the shelf? You know that. Right. So and then and, and along the way, which is a big part of everything that I do, they're having some fun, I would imagine. It's tremendous fun. It's amazing. The energy is just over the top. And, uh, you know, it, it sounds daunting to stay up for 48 hours um, like we do as tool tech staying up with these people. Um, but it's really not that hard because the energy level is so high. Uh, after it's all over, it's a pretty good crash. But um, the energy level is amazing. And people wind up becoming friends with other team mem- members. The teams actually help each other on a lot of things. They'll even prototypes. They'll help each other in their video presentations that they create. Uh, it's amazing to see that. And then, of course, the tool techs become quite bonded to these teams and wind up being friends with them as well. Cool. So are there um, so are there anybody, you know, any advisors that are walking around going, ah, guys, uh, yeah, I, I see where you're going, but you might want to rethink that. Yeah, absolutely. At this one, um, you know, we have um, some of our sponsors will send people to be mentors um, and that are people that are experts in the field. For instance, Jay Potty, um, Julie Edwards, Bobby Edwards, they, they are mentors that have been to a few of them. And they will be there throughout the event uh, to sit down with teams and talk to them and, and answer questions about where they think it should go. Is it manufacturable? Is the price point right? Will stores buy it? Um, Josh Malone with a bunch of balloons, a bunch of balloons. He's a, spon- or a sponsor and a mentor as well. And he meets with the teams and talks to them about same thing. Can I manufacture it? 
what, what would it sell for? What would people pay for it? And you think stores would actually take it? And there, and we've had others too. We've had what are the Aaron Cross with Scrub Daddy. He's been a mentor a couple of times. So we have a number of them that come in and mentor the, the teams and they, they get a big kick out of it too. They have a lot of fun with it. We make it a really fun event and, uh, the mentors and sponsors get to go, um, get to go out to, you know, do a little pub crawl during it while the teams are working away. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> Nothing like a little pub crawl. Yeah. A little pub crawl is not bad for them. You know, their bus pulls up and runs them around to, to a few of the local bars. And then this time they, they all came by my shop and I had about 60, 70 people in my shop, which was, um, you there? Yeah. Sorry about that. I don't yeah. know what that was. So I think it was a phone call coming in or something. But you had about 60, 70 people in my shop, and um, which was um, more than I've ever had. So, and uh, we entertained them a little bit with some beers, and then I went back to uh, back to work with the tool techs, and they went on to some pubs. That's a, that sounds fun. Yeah, like I said, man. Anytime you can throw a pub crawl in the middle of anything, that uh, yeah. makes for now, a good time. The teams don't do that, but the VIP, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the sponsors and stuff. I would imagine so, after uh, 48 hours, all the teams do after that is just crawl. Barely, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty grueling. Yeah. Take, take the pub out. Hey, what do you think, you, you, just you personally, what do you think makes a good product? Um, I solve a problem, in my opinion. Um, you know, too many, pro too many products are out there, and they don't, you know, they're, they're a, a product looking for a problem. And it's kind of like, oh, that's a cool device. It's neat. But does anybody really need it? Does it solve anything? Yeah, it needs to solve a problem. And um, that needs to be easily. So even, you know, you look at like this fidget thing that's taken off, you know, in the past year or two. And you say, well, that didn't really solve a problem. Well, I guess it did solve fidgeting. You know, it's all jumpy and nervous or whatever. So there was even a problem solved with that. So if you look at it, I say the main, the main thing, it's got to solve a real problem. That problem's got to be easily defined and easily understood. Okay. Yeah. I liked your comment, uh, products out there looking for a problem. Uh, I get, yeah. um, I mean, I get a lot of stuff pitched to me, um, every, yeah. every single week, you know, stuff that people came up with in their garage or, um, and, and some of it, uh, and I've never heard it put that way, but it is, some of it really is products just looking for a problem or the problem just is not that big of a deal. Um, you know, and can be solved with, uh, you know, uh, and I remember there was this one time on um, uh, when I saw somebody pitching a product that, you know, covered up the, uh, you know, the camera on your on your uh, um, on your laptop. And, and somebody said, well, hey, why don't you just put a piece of tape over that? You know, so, exactly. you know, so uh, although the product is cool, I think that people will inherently just say, yeah, you know, for I could spend two dollars on that or I could put a piece of tape on it. Um, and mm -hmm. uh and people aren't just looking anymore to spend money just to spend money. I mean, there are people out there that are, but um, so 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 now that it solves uh, now that it solves a problem, what else um, does it need to have? Do you think? Well, another problem or a thing that I see people do is they overcomplicate their product, right? So they they overengineer it in, and that not necessarily by overengineering making it better. They just put too much complications into it, where you really got to do is simplify it down so it's easy to manufacture and uh, just just make it simple and even and make it operate simple too and even with apple you know you look at their great products that, that they came up with they may be complicated behind us 
underneath that your iPhone. It's a lot of complications going on, but it's simple to use, and that that's very important. I 150% agree with you on, um, and I tell people all the time, you know, one, yeah, like you said, it has to solve a problem. Two, it has to be um, easily uh, understandable. You know, if if you explain it to somebody and then you have to explain it again, meaning they have additional questions, you're going to struggle. So if you can't right. just say in a simple sentence, this is what it does and this is why it's cool, uh, you're, you're going to struggle. And I've had products before where you um, – uh, you know, you explain them and then people are like, okay, so it does what? And, and then, you know, right off the bat that, you know, your, your half a millisecond that you're going to get to explain that to the customer is going to be difficult. Right. Uh, it, yeah. You need that quick elevator speech, even shorter than that. And I, I forget what somebody said, you know, walking by in a store, you only have a, a few milliseconds to, for them to notice your product on the shelf and understand what it does. Right. Now I see, you know, a, a lot of what we do, uh, is, you know, the very first thing I do with every single client, the, the, the day that they start with us is, is, is we generally do pricing first because if pricing has an issue uh, or if there's a pricing problem, that can, you don't really stop everything until we fix that. And uh, it seems to me in retail today that everybody is stuck on this 1999 pr- pr- uh, price point or 299 like everything has to be under $30 for some reason. And, uh, you know, recently, uh, Dick Sporting Goods put out a thing that said that they're going to start going promotional to try to save their business, you know, doing promotional items. And I just was pulling my hair out because I'm thinking instead of going promotional, why don't you buy better? Why don't you buy some products that people want that will bring them in? Because promotional, you can't trend that. You know, even if you did a half a million dollars in promotional, it doesn't mean that you'll do that same thing next year. So you can't even count on that. Uh, yeah. Why do you think in the industry price points are being driven down so low? And, and, and why are, are men, uh, or retailers not wanting to step out and, and buy better? I don't know. I, I know the 1999 thing, and then I've heard it said before too now that 29.99 is the new 19.99, and we've been guilty of it too. We had a we had to make 48 at, at the Smithsonian, and our price point was 29.99. You had to stay below that for retail cost, um, and it just seems to be. I don't know if we're all just falling in line with you know blindly following those numbers, I don't know that they mean anything. What's the difference between $29.99 and $31? But psychologically, they must, somebody must have done some tests and figured out that people will buy X times more if it's $29.99 than they will if it's $31.99. I don't know. I, I, I agree with you. It seems kind of weird. Well, I, I understand the psychology behind the $29.99 price point or the 19 or even the 49 or the 99 um, mm-hmm. You know, when you deal with Costco – uh, Costco knows the price points that sell in their in their buildings, and and they're generally nine. Uh, well, they probably won't in a lot of ways could be low at, at nine, but you know nineteen, forty nine, ninety nine. But you know, so if you have an item that you think is going to retail at fifty nine, Costco will always try to get you to to be able to position it at forty nine because for them, at the club store area, forty nine is a better price. They know it will sell better at forty nine than it will at fifty nine. Um, and, uh, and sometimes it'll even, you know, go up in price because 39 or 37 99 is not as good as 49 99. Um, but I, I guess my question, huh. my question is, is that, uh, 
um, everybody seems to be trying to drive and sell more promotionally. Uh, and, and I think that some, you know, coming up soon, a retailer out there is going to stop and say, uh, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to start buying better products and, and then we're going to advertise those and we're going to get people in here and we're going to be the premier retailer. And then things will start to change and, and they'll recapture some of what they've lost. But I'm, I'm curious to get your perspective on why retailers are afraid to step out on higher priced or, or, or good quality products um, these days, it, or if you even see that. Yeah, I, you know, I guess it's the China thing. This obviously has driven prices down, and and the problem and the quality as well in a lot of ways. Um, and I I think it's just this quest to they feel that you know the more we can drive them down and the cheaper we make it, the, the more we'll sell and product. You know, it's we become a throwaway society if you notice in a lot of ways too. I don't know if that relates to this directly or not, but in the you know you used to refill lighters and pens and that sort of thing. And now you just throw everything away. Um, and more and more products are becoming that way. So they're, they're cheaper made and lower quality because you're just going to throw them away anyway. You're only going to use them for a little while. And I, and I think that thought process goes into it a lot where things used to be made to last. And now you just make them so cheap, use them up and throw them away. Yo, I think that's sure. actually a, um, I think that's actually a strategy. And remember, and I won't name the the manufacturer, but there was a vacuum manufacturer that their average time that customers were keeping their vacuum was thirty years, and so they uh -huh. made a conscious decision to create vacuums that only lasted two years because they wanted, you know, they wanted a, a faster turn. You know, if they if somebody buys a vacuum and then doesn't come back for thirty years, they were thinking, hey, if we could cut that down to two years, we could basically you know, you know, five X our business or whatever it was. So yeah. I think the disposable thing is also a strategy where people know, Hey, if they just throw their pins away, they're going to come back and buy a pin uh, or more. Exactly. Pins. So, yeah. So I get that. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, to throw away, you know, it's like if you, if, if you're going to invent a consumable, well, you're going to sell it over and over and over again to the same customer. Right. If it's a good product. And that's a nice income stream, but a vacuum the last 30 years, like you said, I'm selling, then you have to find a new customer every single time you sell it. So the throwaway society works well for people that make throwaway things or have changed from a thing that lasts to a throwaway thing, like even a vacuum. I didn't know that story. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so if somebody has a product, so let's say they've gone to China, they've manufactured it, it's over here now, uh, or they have their, their – uh, uh, you know, handmade sample or whatever. How, how do you think, you know, maybe what are three things or four things that they can do to self eval their product to see, um, and, and really, you know, really step outside themselves and evaluate it like somebody else would instead of, you know, they're all, you know, personally involved in it, personally attached to it, you know, how can they detach and maybe what are three or four things that they should look at, uh, to avoid their product. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, if you have if if you have a product or a working prototype that looks good, I, I think one of the newest and the best things to do is to crowdfund it with Indiegogo or Kickstarter, and you could put it on there, and you're going to get you know whether people want the thing or not. I mean, that's been a real phenomenal success, and I think it's helped launch a lot of products and maybe shoot a lot of them down that weren't weren't worth it. Where before somebody filled up their garage full of uh, product that won't sell, so. Um, 
that's a that's a really good way to do it. I think is to kick, is to crowdfund it. But if you don't have the product and you just want to see if it'll sell, I mean, what you could do, and I and I think it was Tim Ferriss that said this in one of his books, is uh, set up a web page with it for sale and have them click through to buy it and take them all the way to the point of sale with this product up there that you don't you haven't made yet, but just don't take their credit card and once they, they click through, say it's currently unavailable, but give me your email, email you when it is available. And if you get enough of those, you know, it's a product worth making. Okay. So that gets total strangers to say whether or not they buy it. And, um, you know, all the way to the point of where they're ready to give you a credit card. And that, that proves the concept. Okay. So it might be a little bit, you know, shady to do it that way but that's you're not actually taking any money from anybody yeah well i I definitely think that people don't go through enough steps you know they basically validate it on themselves their family this is a good idea and then they go out and uh and they manufacture it and 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 then and then they try to sell it then they try to see what buyers think then they try to um and and uh, uh i've seen a lot of people go well into the hole because they didn't do those validating parts, even though they're hard to hear, uh, or even though you might have to give up on a passion project. Uh, but you know, I always tell them, Hey, look, you know, you can't do it based on what your family says. You got to go out and see what the actual customer is going to say. That's for sure. And I mean, the other thing is to enter some contests. There's not, you know, there's other invention contests other than just make 48, but just make 48 wouldn't work for that because we don't tell you what the category is until, until you come and, and we launch uh, the event. But there are, I know our inventors club here in Kansas City holds uh, meetings where you can show your product, you can, to a panel of judges, uh, and they'll just give you their opinion on what, and you can show it at any stage, so whether it's a drawing or it's a already made. And they'll give you an honest opinion, and, and the group will also grade it. You know, you have a group of about 80 people that will uh, give you honest opinion about whether they buy that product or not. And, and that's a good way to do it, too. You, you have to sell to strangers. Um, if you're only any business, if you're only selling to family and friends, you're not going to you're not going to last very long. Or if you're only taking the opinion, <laughs> opinion of family and friends, Absolutely. you know, yeah. just because your mom thinks it's good doesn't mean, uh, you know, you're going to get it out. You're going to get it out there. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. how's uh, how's the show going? Um, you know, what, what's what's happening next for the show? Well, we just um, we just filmed uh, uh, start of. Season two, and that's what uh, David was in that, and that's so we filmed the event, the forty-eight-hour event, and now we go to filming the products being developed, um, the design stage of it, and then the actual manufacturing stage of it, and uh, those steps are now starting to take place. Okay, and um, that's you know that all gets filmed and put on the show as well, and um, the season one has already aired in Kansas City, it's on public television, so. Each individual station gets to choose when they want to air it. In some cities, it's aired, and some it won't air till maybe January. But um, we picked up, um, I think it's about 280 stations nationwide, something like that, in most major cities. Okay. Is uh, is season one available to see anywhere else online or? Uh... Absolutely. And make48.com, you can see the episodes there. Okay. Mm-hmm. And when does uh, when do you anticipate airing season two? Air, season two will air next fall, so it's it's your typical, you know, new shows in the fall schedule, okay. and that's when it'll come out. And again, each individual station can choose to 
air it when they want, but um, the real release is fall. Okay. And what about uh, season three? Or, or are you guys even talking about season three yet? Oh yeah, it's already in the works, um, and that'll that'll be next fall as well. So, just like this one, we'll be shooting season three while season two is airing. Okay, and if anybody, so you, have you chosen your teams for season three yet, or people can still apply for that, or? No, we haven't chosen any teams for season three yet. So absolutely, please apply. Um, you can do that online at make48.com. and um, it's all you need to apply. There's a simple application there that you fill out. And um, just a little video of yourself, and that video can be just real super simple. You know, just keep it simple with your phone and just shoot a little video. So as long as you want to be on Make 48, and that's about it. Got to weed out the people that are camera shy, right? Yeah, we just, you know, <laughs> we, we like to have uh, good, fun personalities there. and You know, so we get a lot of applications. It's hard to decide sometimes. I did that for a uh, – uh, I was hiring for a sales position years ago. Well, it wasn't that long ago because there were still phones that could take video, so it wasn't wasn't that long ago. But uh, um, the interview, instead of uh, coming in for an interview, I had them send me a video of them selling whatever they wanted. They could sell a you know vacuum or a pen or whatever it was, but they had to film themselves selling it on camera, and uh, that was their interview, and that's what they sent in. And, man, what an interesting um, array of videos that we got, and what an interesting way to uh, – to really see, you know, how somebody's going to perform in that sales environment, it was, it, it was, uh, um, I, I thought it was a huge success. That is cool. I love that idea. I may, I may borrow that idea from some one of my other businesses or something. <laughs> Sounds really cool. I love that. Um, yeah. So it is interesting to see what people will send you on a video, and and we've had some that were we kind of look at and go, wow, okay. <laughs> and uh, other ones are really, really good. So. There's some really good ones come in, but none of them are production quality or any phone. And, it, you know, you just tell them about yourself and having some fun while you do it. Yeah. So you mentioned with some of your other businesses, what else, uh, what else takes up your time when you're not doing make 48? I also, I own a uh, electrical construction company that, um, in Kansas city. So about 50 employees there. I run that, uh, it's a full-time gig. And I also have a real estate company where I have a commercial and residential real estate and, um, lease that stuff and, and own it. And then um, kind of where Make 48, one of the other places Make 48 kind of grew out of was my um, group of friends we'd call a steel table group. There's six of us and we get together once a week and uh, every evening and we're all inventors and we brainstorm ideas and help each other along our invention path as well. And um, try to encourage each other to to follow you know, um, the pursuit of our products and, and what our dreams and entrepreneurial pursuits and that sort of thing. So it's been, it's a lot of fun. And, um, that's where a lot of the tool techs came from, from steel table group. Nice. Kind of like your own little mastermind group. That's exactly right. You know, one of my favorite books is thinking grow rich by Napoleon Hill. And, um, he said, create a mastermind group and it works wonders. It's amazing what that'll do is to get, um, some real good friends around. We all, you know, we are all uh, successful in our own worlds but we uh, check the ego at the door and we're honest with each other and we trust each other. And it's, it's been a great group. That sounds awesome. I think that's, uh, that's, that's hugely, hugely important. Hey, I forgot to ask, um, uh, the products that came out of, uh, your first episode, what, what's going on with those? Those are, there's some that are still be under development. Um, you know, episode one was, uh, um, it was good. And we have, um, 
one that's going to be crowdfunded here pretty soon. We're working on prototypes on all of them, all three of them. Um, so if you look on, if you watch the episodes, you'll see them and you'll see those products. And uh, right now we're just kind of finalizing up prototypes and trying to get them to the market. Uh, at least a couple of them are going to probably be on Indiegogo. Okay. Uh, yeah, who's one of our sponsors as well. All right. And then lastly, you know, what, to, what's your hopes and dreams for make 48? So, uh, you know, make 48 does, you know, where do you, where do you see it going and want it to go? You know, we, we just want to continue to grow. It's been a, it's been a real adventure. And sometimes you feel like you're on a ride, uh, like a, a river raft ride and you don't know what's around the next bend. So it, it's been a heck of an adventure. I never in a in million years anticipated that I would be on any kind of TV show. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't one of my goals in life to do that, but it, it happened and it's been fun. So um, ultimately, we want Make 48 to continue to grow and, and to be able to develop uh, products for people that, that are on the show and have some real successes that way. And uh, who knows, we may do some international stuff at some point um, when the, we have some interest in uh, some other countries for it. That, sound, that sounds amazing. Well, well, Rich, anything else that uh, that you feel we need to know about uh, Make 48, or did we miss anything? You know, no, just check out the website, make48.com. Uh, if you um, want to have some fun, want to have an adventure for 48 hours, and I think you should uh, tell people to apply, man. I think uh, they'll, they'll have a good time. They'll really enjoy it. It's been an amazing, amazing adventure for me and everybody. All the teams seem to really um, rave about the experience. So, um I think David would back me up on that. Well, I, I'm sh I'm sure that he would. And of course, we're going to have all of your uh, your details, um, uh, you know, in our um, in the notes section of the podcast. So for those big boxers out there that are, you know, driving or cooking or doing whatever it is you do, uh, not to worry. We're going to have all the details written down for you, so you can just click through and um, and uh, and apply uh, to uh, to be on the next show, Rich. Cool. Thanks so much for, for being with us. Thanks so much for uh, your insight, especially uh, uh, into what uh, all these guys are trying to accomplish. Um, I think that um, everything that you said uh, uh, will help them tremendously. I hope so. And Tim, I really appreciate being on your show. Thank you so much for inviting me. And thanks for being a friend of Make 48. And uh, I will be checking out the rest of your podcast. All right. Thanks. Take care. Okay. Bye. Hey, big boxers. Rich has left the building, and I'm hoping that you guys had as good a time listening to that conversation as I did having it. Rich has a tremendous amount of experience in the field that we're all in, and he has a tremendous amount of experience bringing products to market. And just getting some of his insight was epic and amazing, and I hope that you guys enjoyed it. Rich, if you're listening, thank you again so much for taking the time out of your busy day to spend with myself and our big box listeners. We appreciate it each and every nugget of information that you had. Listen, big boxers, if you're interested in supporting the podcast, here's one of the ways that you can do it. You can subscribe. You can go to uh, iTunes or Stitcher or whichever or however you listen to the podcast and hit subscribe. That way, you'll know, you'll get a notification when a new episode is up and ready for you to listen. Something else that you can do is you can go to iTunes and Stitcher and leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know what's going on, what you like about the podcast, and uh, um, 
just simply, you know, give us some information and let other people that are looking at the podcast and wondering whether they should listen some information about what it is that you like. We would really appreciate that. If you want to submit a question, if you are, you know, in the midst of a campaign and have something going on and you want to get our take on it, you want your question to be on the show or you just want to talk to us, you can reach us a multitude of different ways. You can reach us on Twitter at, at TLB Consult. You can reach us on Facebook at TLB Consulting. And you can always send us an email off our website at TLBConsulting.com. Lastly, and most importantly, you can join our closed group at face or excuse me at on the shelf now. So go to Facebook, type in on the shelf now and hit join. And that way you'll be part of the conversation and easy access to ask questions, not only of the group, but myself as well. Thank you so much uh, for listening each and every week. We appreciate it. Look forward to speaking to you again. Until then, we look forward to seeing your products on the shelf.